0: So, so far, we've covered the Advent themes of, of hope and peace, and so this week, we're going to step into the third Advent theme. Does anybody know what the third theme of Advent is? Somebody Somebody said it, love, right? Ah, love. We love to talk about love. In our culture, don't we? We make movies about love. We sing songs about love. We write poems about love. Some of y'all watch really cheesy Hallmark Christmas movies about love, and I'm praying for those of you who do that. Like we just kind of love love in our culture. Uh, about a month and a half ago, I went on a on a mission trip with a small group of new lifers to Central Asia, and uh, so we were over there. We're in a large city, and we we're working with a missionary, te- an American missionary team. And so we were going to drive from the big city to a city that was like three hours away, a smaller city, with just a handful of believers to kind of scope out the city, uh, do some prayer walking, pray over the city. And uh, so it was, it was me, three other new lifers in this van, uh, the team leader, missionary dude from uh, Cali, he's driving the van, and one of his teammates, which is like this college-age girl, is with us. So it's like the six of us in a van, we got this three-hour drive, drive into another city, and the college-age girl uh, in the middle of the drive or in the beginning of the drive says, hey, I, I, lo- I love Taylor Swift. And she said, Taylor Swift just dropped a new album like yesterday, Would you mind if we listened to the album? So I'm trying to be polite, and I'm like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's cool. We can listen to a little uh, Taylor Swift. And so for the, for, for the next three hours, I experienced what can only be described as intense suffering, right? <laughs> I mean, if you see a little blood leakage from my, my ear, that, that's a residue from, uh, from that trip, listening three hours to Taylor Swift's. Uh, a new, al- listen, it was, it was terrible, y'all. It was, there, was, there was maybe one song on that album that I was like, man, I can see how somebody that doesn't have great musical taste might like that, you know, but, so let me just say to all the T-Swift fans out there, come find me after the service, let me introduce you to some real music, I'll introduce you to 90s music, the last great era of uh, music, spoken like a true Gen Xer. Um, But listen, for this this college girl who is over there She could say in one breath I love Taylor Swift And the very next breath she could say I love Jesus Now did she mean the same thing? Well, (laughs) of course not, right? She's giving two and a half years of her life, right? In an unreached area to expand the kingdom of Jesus, she just had bad musical taste. So when she says, I love Taylor Swift and I love Jesus, clearly she did not mean the same exact thing, right? Love has almost become kind of a junk drawer word that can mean almost anything in our society, in our culture. In fact, it would not be unusual if you and I were to have a even just a 30-second conversation out by the coffee bar before the service, after the service, it would not be unusual for you in the span of 30 seconds. to hear me say both both these statements I love bacon and I love Cheryl right that would not be uncommon for you to hear me say both of those things in a very short amount of time now I want you to understand something both of those things are absolutely true like I love me some bacon all right now listen I don't know if y'all knew this or not but you, you can take bacon and put it on almost anything and it makes it better did you know that you can actually cook bacon to where it's crispy, crumble it up and put it on like nat- nasty vegetables like broccoli and things like that and it makes it amazing. It's like this miracle thing from heaven. I, listen, I, 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 love, I love bacon, I truly do and I really do. I love my bride, I think she, she hung the moon. I, I love her, I adore her but do I mean the same thing when I say I love bacon and I love Cheryl? I hope Cheryl's out there going, you better, I'll cut you, boy. You better not mean the same. You better not mean the same thing. No, I don't mean the same thing. Those aren't the same at all. See, the reality is that English language has, has some restrictions, right? It's, it's very limited, and this is one of the areas that the English language is very limited, right? We've got one word, love, to describe all of these truths and all of these experiences, and so I think for us to see love the way that God does This Advent season, we need to go to the scriptures to make sure we have a handle on what love actually is in God's economy, all right? Now, it's been argued that the greatest human need is to know and be known. That's the greatest human need, to know and be known. More than water, more than food, more than clothes, to know and be known. In other words, to love and be loved. In spite of all of our imperfections, in spite of all our flaws, to be seen for who we really are, and still love. That's our greatest need. That's been argued. Now, I am, I am convinced that many of us have never really experienced, experienced true, authentic love because we, listen, guys, because we're terrified that if people actually knew us, actually knew the real us, that they could never love us. And so what happens as a consequence of this is so many of us, we just try to live these curated lives, right? And we put our highlight reels on social media and we come to church and we force a smile. We talk in platitudes. Like, hey man, how you doing? Praise the Lord. God is good. I'm better than I deserve. We just kind of talk in these platitudes. Meanwhile, the security guy just told me he saw you getting out of the car, yelling at your kids, your wife is in tears, and you come in here, praise the Lord, God is good. Why do we do that? Because we want to be loved. We want to be accepted, but deep down, we know that we're pretty unlovable most of the time. So what is love? Actually, like what 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 is love? And so... Let me go ahead and give you uh, our outline this morning. Three questions we're going to try to answer. One is, what is love? Second one is, how do we experience love? And then number three will be, how do we live out love? So that'll be kind of the game plan this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and head for 1 John chapter 4. Small little book towards the back of the New Testament, 1 John chapter 4. We're going to start there. We're going to bounce around a little bit. But before we dive into the Word, uh, let's pause just a moment. Let's take a breath. And let's ask God to help us as we engage his word this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you, and I would just guess uh, a week out from Christmas, um, for a lot of us, our thoughts are frantic, our hearts are busy with planning and last-minute shopping and thinking about uh, going to visit family or having family come in to visit us, God, and uh, it's really easy on a morning like this morning to come in here and be really scattered and really distracted, God. And I even know for, for, for many folks watching online, maybe in the room, that Christmas time is it's a hard time. It's a reminder of someone that we loved who's no longer with us. It's a reminder of a time lost. And so I realize that this season can be a reminder, a reminder of painful things for some of us. So, Father, I just ask that no matter where anybody is, either online, in the room, that you would just uh, bring a level of peace to our hearts and our minds, the kind of the peace that we looked at last week, the, the peace that surpasses all human understanding. God, I pray that you would calm our thoughts just long enough for us to hear from you. And Holy Spirit, we would ask that you would be here, present and among us, active, that you would open our spiritual eyes so that we could see, open our spiritual ears so that we could hear a word from you this morning in a way that would change the way that we live and the way that we think. And we ask it all for the fa- fame and glory of your son, Jesus, amen. All right, First John, uh, in case you were wondering, was was written, not surprisingly, by the apostle John, arguably jesus's closest friend john is known as the apostle of love because he writes on the topic uh, so frequently in the books in the new testament that he wrote in fact you may uh, remember that john's favorite nickname for himself in the gospel of john is the disciple whom jesus loves right i love that that's his nickname for himself right so he meets somebody hey what's your name my name's bill what's your name i'm i'm the dude jesus loves right I love that about John, right? I think many of us should probably adopt that same uh, mindset. Now, John is he's writing this particular letter, 1 John, to a group of churches that have been scattered in the Roman Empire because of persecution, right? So he's writing this letter to them about life and love and actually just kind of kind of a teaser. We're going we're to unpack 1 John in an entire series in the month of January and February, so we're going to go deeper into this book. But, he, but he's writing these guys and these gals who are scattered, again, persecuted because of their faith in Jesus, and you gotta think, some of them at least, if not most of them, are wondering, where's God's love? Right? Like we're following Jesus, like we responded to the gospel, like we have this dynamic relationship with our creator through Jesus Christ now, but then all of a sudden, now we've lost our jobs and our families have kicked us out of the house and now we're kinda living in poverty, like Where is God's love? Is this really what we signed up? Does God see me in my pain right now? They may have been wondering some of the very same questions that we're attempting to answer together uh, this morning. So with that backdrop, let's dive in. 1 John 4, starting in verse seven. John writes this. Beloved, let me pause just for a moment right there. I love that he starts this section by rooting their identity. Right? He starts the section by, not, not with commands, not with a to-do list. He starts the section of the letter by rooting their identity. John wants them to know that their primary identity is not being Jew or not being a Greek. It's not their ethnicity. It's not their profession. It's not even their political persuasion. Their primary identity as followers of Christ is beloved. He wants them to know, you are loved by God, follower of Christ. You're loved by God. You're chosen by God. As the word says, before the foundation of the world, he loved you and chose you. See, before they could get anything else right, they had to get this right, and I think that's true for us this morning as well. We've got to get our identity right before anything else is going to make sense. So he writes to them, he says, Beloved, in other words, remember who you are. I know you're suffering. I know it's hard. Remember who you are. Beloved, let us love one another For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because, and I want you to underline this phrase, God is love. We'll come back to that in a minute. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation. That's just a big biblical theological word that means Jesus taking what we deserve. So we've talked about this in the past. We call it the great exchange, that on the cross, Jesus took all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our unrighteousness, and instead of us having all of that junk, he takes it away from us, and he gives us his perfect sinless life. His righteousness becomes ours. It's the great exchange or the propitiation of our sins. Verse 11, beloved, there that word is again. Again, he's reminding us, remember who you are. Don't forget who you are. You're loved. You're chosen. You belong to God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Referencing the Holy Spirit, of course. And we have... Seen And we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And so John is like, hey, look, I know some people are going to read this letter later on, probably after I've died. I just want you to know, I I was an eyewitness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Like, guys, I, I know it seems almost unbelievable. I'm telling you, I lived with Jesus. I listened to him preach. I saw him do miracles. I saw the Roman government crucify him. And three days later, I ate dinner with him on the beach. I'm telling you, this is real. I'm an eyewitness of these things. This is not a fairy tale. And he goes on, he says, And we have seen, we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Now, here's this phrase again, underlining it again. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Now here's the thrust of what the Apostle John is saying. This is our first take home truth on the screens for you this morning. Number one, God is love. God is love, in fact I want you to say that with me on the count of three, one, two, three, God is love. This time say it like you mean it, God is love. Do you believe that this morning? God is love. He doesn't just have love. He doesn't just possess love. He doesn't just give love. Like God is love. John is saying he is the very source of love. He's the essence of love in God himself. Now, this is a very important distinction in our culture today, right? Because every other world religion basically, basically teaches some form of moralism. So pretty much every worldview out there, every religion out there basically teaches, hey, listen, you have to obey God. You have to uh, follow all the rules. You gotta keep the checklist, and you gotta pray five times a day, and you gotta take this pilgrimage, and you gotta say these many Hail Marys, and you gotta do all these different things, and then maybe... Maybe if you work hard enough and you get enough of those things checked off of your list, maybe on that final day when you see God, he'll accept you and he'll love you. That's the message of every world religion out there except for Christianity. Because Christianity says, listen, you can't follow all the rules. It doesn't matter how hard you try, you can't be good enough to climb the mountain and get to God. So because God is love, when you couldn't get to him, he came off the mountain to rescue you when you had no way to get to him. Now, why did he do that, according to John? Because he is love. Like that, is, that is who he is. His character compels him to love us. He can't help but love. Now, I want you to, I want you to listen to me this morning, friend, because some of you need to hear this very clearly and you need to internalize this this morning. Listen, God, it... Look at me, God is crazy about you, friend. God, God is absolutely crazy about you. Listen, if you if you grew up in a church culture, as I know many of us did, that painted God as this kind of like old man in the sky with a beard, with a scowl on his face, with a divine baseball bat, just ready to wallop you over the head as soon as you screw up, and so he could laugh at you. Listen, if that's how you grew up seeing God, uh, imaging God, I want you to know you got it all wrong. You got it all. That is not the God of the Bible. Now, is God just? Yes. Does God deal with sin seriously? Again, the answer is yes. Because he is a perfect and holy God. A loving God must be just. An unjust God couldn't be good and couldn't be loving. But you need to understand this. His justice flows from his love. Know this, friend. Every single attribute of God flows ultimately from his love. Because what John says is true. God Is love that is who He is that is His DNA. Now, here's what I think that means practically for you this morning. Here's what it means practically. In order for you to know and experience true, authentic, deep, real love, listen you're not you're not going to find that in a sentimental Christmas movie. You're certainly not gonna find it in the new T-Swift album. You're not gonna find it in a new relationship that gives you tummy butterflies for a few months until you realize that they got stanky breath in the morning well and they chew their cereal really loudly, right? The only source of authentic love, listen guys, is found in God. It's found in God, which leads me right to our second truth this morning on the screens for you. Number two, not only is God love, listen friend, God loves you. God loves you. And and I'm not talking about some kind of general, like distant, factual way, like God loves humanity or God loves the the world. Listen to me, God loves you. He loves you. He loves you, like personally. He loves you. You say, Chris, that that sounds like really nice. Like I wanna believe that. I don't feel like God loves me very much right now. Like I don't feel that. that doesn't feel like my experience I'm not even sure that God sees me or hears me right now Listen, I want to prove to you I want to prove to you that God loves you I want to prove to you, show you two ways That you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt That God loves you I could give you more for the sake of time I'm just giving you two this morning Now this is audience participation time I just want y'all to shout out answers to these questions The first one is this What's your, um, what's your favorite food? Just, just shout out some answers Pizza Pasta What else? What is that? Crab, lobster, seafood. Yeah, what else? Sushi. That's nasty. What else? What else? Steak. Somebody said steak. That's my boy right there. Steak. What else? Yeah, yeah. So you guys got lots of different foods. Let me ask you this what's your favorite genre of music? Just shout out some answers. Metal. Love, I love it. What else? Classic. Taylor Swift, not Taylor Swift. <laughs> uh, what up? Jazz, jazz I love me some jazz. What else? Jazz. Blues, yeah, blues is good. Like, so lots of different kinds of musical tastes that you guys enjoy. What about this? What, what's your favorite view in nature? Like sunset, waterfall, beat. Like what's your, just shout out some answers. Ocean, mountains. Somebody in their first service said snow. What else? Waterfalls. One dude in the 915 said said my wife, and he looked at her with a sheepish grin. I was like, my boy, (laughs) bonus points. It's gonna be a good Christmas for that man, right? (laughs) Now now listen, All, all joking aside, have you ever wondered why it is that when you put a bite of your favorite food in your mouth after a long, hard day, maybe you've been too busy to eat, so you skipped lunch and you're starving at 7, 8 o'clock at night, and you cut into that filet mignon and you put that in your mouth and it melts like butter, and then you take a sip of your favorite beverage and your eyes just kind of involuntarily close, and you have a moment of worship in your soul, right? Have you ever wondered why God gave us so many flavors? Textures, aromas, to savor with these tongues that have these magical little things on them called taste buds, so that we can taste all of these things that then release dopamine into our brains so that we get a warm, fuzzy feeling. Like, why doesn't all food taste like cardboard? How come our eyes, unlike many of the, the mammals, how come our eyes are capable of seeing colors? Why is the ocean blue and the grass green and daisies bright yellow in the summer, rainbows multicolored? Why is it that when you hear a stunning piece of music, your soul just sings inside of you? Why is it that when you see a waterfall cascading over a lush green mountain or watch a sunset over the sea, your heart just begins to burst with gratitude? Listen, friend, our world could be in grayscale. Food could be tasteless nutrition, and yet it is not. And that is on purpose. That's what Bible scholars call the general revelation of God's love. The general revelation of God's love. Through through his creation, it's a technical way of saying that all of nature is screaming to us, I love you, I love you and I want you to delight. I want you to delight in my creation so that your heart begins to worship the creator of those things that you're finding delight in. See, our worship was never designed to end with the created thing that brings us delight, but ultimately those things were supposed to point us to the creator of those gifts, to the giver of those good gifts. That's the general revelation of God's love. That's one way I know God loves you. It's been said that there's no man more miserable than the, the atheist uh, watching a sunset at the sea. Because as he basks in the beauty and the glory of that sunset, as his heart fills with gratitude, suddenly he realizes that he has no one to be thankful for and to. And friend, that is a hollow existence. Church, don't you see it? Can't you see it? Can't you see it? Like every sunrise, every time a bird sings in early spring, every, every waterfall, every bite of exquisite food, every time you hear the laugh of a child, every time you see the flirty glance of your spouse, oh, whispers from the creator, I, I love you. I love you, I love you. So general revelation of God's love that's proof to us there is a good God and that he does love us. Here's the second way I'd prove to you that God loves you. Scholars call this a special revelation of God's love. So you got general revelation of God's love. You also have special revelation of God's love. That's what John just gave us in 1 John 4. Let's go back to it real quick. Verse 9, he says this, In this the love of God was made manifest or made visible. In other words, this is how we know. This is how God has painted a picture of how much he loves us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. John is saying that, listen, the way God showed us he loves us is by coming to us. Listen, God God didn't just like send us a postcard from heaven that says, I love you. God, God didn't just like shout from the clouds, hey, I love you. He came to us. He came into our existence and sat in our suffering with us. And Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I should have lived, but we couldn't because we're sinners. And he died the death that everybody in this room watching online, me included, deserved to die, but he rose again three days later and he now offers us abundant life and all who would believe and call on his name. Man, how many of you know there's a difference between merely existing and being fully alive? There's a difference between merely existing and being fully alive. And I wonder how many people under the sound of my voice this morning online in the room are just existing. And like how many of you are just existing. You just wake up, and you grind at school, and you grind at your job, and you kind of do everything that you do just in order to wake up and do it again and again, week after week, month after month, decade after decade until you die. All the while, God is offering you to be fully alive in Him. Listen, friend, He loves you. Jesus coming into our world is proof of that. He gave his life to give you life. I think the best definition I've come across of what love is is from uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. I'll put it on the screens for you. Uh, Aquinas writes this, love is to will the good of the other. Isn't that good? Love is to will the good of the other. And I, I would just add at great cost to ourselves. So love is to will the good of the other at great cost to ourselves. Is there a more profound picture of love than God humbling himself? The king king of the universe, born into the the filth of an animal stable to an unwed teenage mom in shame, becoming a, a refugee as an infant because of a tyrannical king, living an ordinary life and dying a criminal's death to set you and I free. Man, if you want proof that God loves you, look no further than the manger, the cross, and the empty tomb. Let me say it again. Friend, God loves you. God loves you. And hear me say this. God doesn't love like some some future cleaned up version of you. He loves the you that's sitting right here, right now, in all of your mess, in all of your darkness, in all of your screw-ups, and all that. He sees you and he loves you. See, a lot of us, have it kind of messed up. We feel like, man, we gotta, we gotta get cleaned up before we come to God. Let me deal with this addiction. Let me deal with this relationship that I know is not honoring to God. Let me, let me deal with all these things over here. And once I get my life cleaned up, then then I'll come to God. Man, we got the formula backwards, right? It's been said that God cleans his fish after he catches them, not before, See, we come to him broken and sinful and messed up, and then he begins to reshape us and restore our lives. He makes us, what Paul says, calls new creations, new creations in Christ. Friend, God loves you. God is love, and he loves you. Not the world in general, not just some kind of obscure theological term for love. He loves you personally. I think one of the most beautiful pictures of his love is found in Maybe the most par- uh, famous parable Jesus ever told in Luke 15. Let's just uh, read it really quickly and then we'll, we'll move on. But Luke 15, Jesus is telling this parable to, to really emphasize what the Father's love for us is like. And he said, this is Jesus speaking, there was a man, this man in this story represents God the Father, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me uh, the share of property that is coming to me. So a lot of Bible scholars will say that in this day and time, this was the equivalent of him saying to his father, I wish you were dead. Like, I just want your stuff. I don't, I don't care about uh, I like having a relationship with you. Like, I just want your stuff. I wish, I wish, you, would, I wish you would just go ahead and, and, and die. And so the father divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered all the property in reckless living. And again, Bible scholars will speculate that gambling and substance abuse and uh, prostitutes and just anything that you can imagine, he spending his father's uh, money on that. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So our boy is now hungry So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. Listen, we got the son of a king, of a wealthy man, who's now tending to pigs in a field. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. He's so hungry, he looks at the pig slop and he's like, Man, I just wish I could have some of that. They wouldn't give him even the pig slop. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, so he begins to craft in his mind the speech that he's going to give to his father when he goes back home. Right? I'll say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he has his speech all mapped out. Okay, this is what, I'm gonna say this to my dad, then I'm gonna say this to my dad, this to my dad, maybe he'll he'll forgive me. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. I wanna stop right there and say, some of you, I think you need to hear that. Your father sees you. You may not feel seen right now. You may not feel loved right now. But even if you're a far way off, your father sees you. So his father sees him long way off. And says he felt compassion. Not anger. Not vengeance. Not, man, I cannot wait till he gets, I'm gonna bust him upside his jaw. I cannot believe he wasted all my money, that young punk. I'm gonna I can't wait to get no no no. It says he felt compassion for his son. And then watch this. And then he ran He didn't walk He didn't stroll He ran which, which in this day would have been completely undignified right? Because they all had these little, super long robes on So you would have had to hike your, your robe up above your knees Which was, you couldn't do that in that culture So he would have been looking super goofy Sprinting down the road, showing his thighs Just running after him He didn't care, that was his son He felt compassion, he ran And what did he do as soon as he got there He embraced him and kissed him and the son, he's prepared the speech, right? He's like, okay, point one, point two, point three. So the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That, look, verse 22, the father ignores his speech entirely. He's like, shut up. The father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and bring a, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found and they begin to celebrate. That is a picture of God's love for you, friend. Now some of you this morning, man, you're in a distant land right now and you've never come to the father's house because you don't know the father but hear me say this, your father knows you and he loves you. And maybe for you, for the very first time, it's time for you to come home and meet your spiritual father today, your heavenly father, to start your journey with God through Jesus Christ. For others of you, if I were guessing, you're also in a distant land today, but for other reasons, you're in a distant land today and you know better. Because you know Jesus, you're a follower of Christ but you're living in a way that betrays your new identity in Jesus. And here's what I know about you. You are miserable inside. You are absolutely miserable. You can't, listen to me, you can't even enjoy your sin because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you just like gnawing away at your heart, wooing you back to the Father's house. Some of you are in a far distant land because you've never come to the Father's house. There's others of you who have left the Father's house and you're living in a way that's contrary to your new identity in Jesus. And it's time for both of you to come home to the Father's house today. There's a movie that came out, uh, just kind of a a silly movie, just a few years ago. And Spoiler alert, listen, if it's been over two years, you've had your chance, so I'm just gonna, too bad. Um, But there's a movie that came out a few years ago called uh, The Quiet Place, Anybody, you know, I watch that, The Quiet Place. Kind of interesting story. And so like basically the premise of the story is that these uh, alien demonic looking things like invade the world and they wipe out like 98% of the world's population. But there's something really unique about these particular alien demon things is, is they're blind. They can't see. And so the way that they find their victims is actually through, through hearing. And so the only humans that are alive on planet Earth have figured out how to live uh, quietly like without making any noise so they got they, you know they got sign language to communicate with each other they got all these pathways through the woods and like all these areas painted in their house where they know they can step and it's not going to make a noise so they're living in this really quiet way but there's a really heartbreaking scene early in the movie where the older sister there's several kids the older sister maybe 12 13 years old finds a, a toy uh, airplane and gives it to her little brother he's like three years old she's just trying to be sweet They're walking through the woods. The family's walking through the woods back home, and the little boy pulls that airplane that his older sister gave him out, and he presses a button, and it starts making all kinds of noise. So you see them, all their jaws drop, and they turn around, and the dad starts sprinting towards the son, hoping to get to him before these demonic alien creatures do. And sadly, boom, they get the son, they take him, they kill him. The family's devastated. So throughout the rest of the movie, there's this there's tension, right, between the 12-year-old, 13-year-old daughter, and the father, and she's really guilt, just racked by guilt. The man it's, it thinks it's her fault that her little brother died. And so she even begins to question her father's love for her. Like, man, how could he, how could my dad love me? Like it's my fault. I knew better. I'm the oldest child, and I'm the one that gave him this toy that had batteries in it, and now he's gone. There's this tension and she begins to question the father's love for her and then there's this incredible scene towards the end of the movie and all these demon alien creatures are like coming in on the family and so the kids are in this pickup truck and there's this moment where the father is standing outside the pickup truck and he locks eyes with his 12, 13 year old daughter right before he gives his life to save them and he looks at her and he says, I, I love you. I have always loved you you see tears well up in her eyes and then he screams to give himself up to these creatures to allow his kids to escape and I just as I was watching this I think Cheryl was probably like cutting onions in the kitchen because I got a little misty eyed as I'm watching this thing man like man this is such a beautiful picture of the gospel I would just encourage you guys and the music you listen to and the the books that you read and the movies you look for traces of the gospel because I'm telling you all great stories point back to the great story there's gospel images everywhere, all around us, especially in the arts. This is a beautiful picture of what Jesus just described in Luke 15. Like it doesn't matter what you've done, your dad loves you. He's always going to love you, and he proved it by giving himself to save you. Now let me show you one more thing, and then we'll be done. Go to John chapter three if you don't have your Bible. We'll, find, we'll go to the screens. I want to look at one of the most famous verses in the entire uh, Bible. But before we do that, let me just give you a little context. You may not know this. Uh, John chapter three actually opens with a scene with a a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Now, if you don't know a whole lot about Nicodemus, Nicodemus was he was somebody in that culture, right? Nicodemus would have been highly educated, extremely intelligent, super religious had a ton of authority in that society, but he can tell there's something different about Jesus. So he kinda sleuths away, sneaks away in the middle of the night to find Jesus, have a conversation with him He doesn't want anybody to see him Asking Jesus questions But he eventually finds Jesus one night And he says Jesus listen Jesus I know that you're from God Because nobody that's not from God Could, could do the things that you do Like I, I see the miracles that you perform I see the authority with which you preach Like I know you're from God And Jesus then drops a truth bomb On our boy Nico And he says hey listen Nicodemus Listen unless you're, unless you're born again you, you will never see the kingdom of God and in other words, he, he's saying, Nicodemus, listen, like all your religion, like, like all, your, all your moralism, all your trying to be a good person, like understand this, Nicodemus, none of that's gonna get you to God. Not, none of that is gonna get you to God. Listen, Nicodemus, you have to experience a new birth. Now, now Nicodemus was a literalist, like, like many of us are, and he's like, Wait wait a minute, let me, Jesus let me get this right You're telling me as a, as a grown man I've got to re-enter my mother's womb And be born again And Jesus is like no, 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 no. You're, you don't get it Here, Here's the deal, let me explain this to you There are two births There's a physical birth And then there's a spiritual birth And it's only the spiritual birth that Awakens us to real Authentic life And love And then Jesus utters some of the most famous Words ever uttered on the screens for you He says this Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave, he took the initiative. He came looking for us. We didn't come looking for him. He gave his only son. Now what's our response? That whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him now listen y'all, love is not an emotion, contrary to what Hollywood teaches us. Love is not a feeling. Ultimately, love is a decision, and it's a decision that has been revealed most clearly in a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. Born in a manger, Born to suffer and die for you and me To bring us love and life Now hear me say this, we're almost done This kind of love, listen Demands it requires a response That's our third and last point Love requires response Now listen, I don't care if you're a religious cat Like Nicodemus I don't care if you're an irreligious cat Like the foolish rebel prodigal son The call is the same for you this morning won't you come home to the Father's house? Won't you come home to your Father's house? Won't you walk in the new birth that Jesus brought that first Christmas day all those years ago? Friend, listen to me. He loves you. And he proves it every single day of your life and that kind of love, I'm just telling you, like it requires a response and no response is a response everyone in the room, everyone watching online right now, like you have to respond to this somehow, some way. So I want to invite you to respond in a couple of different ways. I want to just encourage you as we close, bow your heads, close your eyes just for a couple minutes. The worship team's going to go ahead and come on up. So so two ways that I think that you could respond this morning in a God-honoring way based on what we've looked at in his word If the Holy Spirit is working in your heart First of all, I would guess there's some somebody, Some bodies, either online In the room, maybe both And maybe you're religious like Nicodemus Or maybe you're irreligious like the prodigal son Doesn't really matter But you would just have to be honest And say, yeah man, like I don't have a relationship With my creator through Jesus Christ yeah I know the Bible yeah I went to church yeah I know some stuff but I've never actually had my life flipped upside down by pledging my allegiance to King Jesus and turning my life over to him and if that's you whether you're online whether you're watching uh, whether you're here in the room this morning I would just ask you like what, what would keep you from that? Like, what, what's better in life than coming to the very source of love and light? Like, what, what could keep you away from the best thing in the entire universe? So if, if, if that's you if, you, if you know deep down that that is you, that I'm talking to you right now, this is what I would say. Just right where you are in the quietness of your own heart and mind and soul, cry out to him. Have a conversation with God. He hears you because he loves you call out to him and the best way that you know how say God I I can't continue to be the king of my own life and so today I'm going to surrender the throne of my life to King Jesus I'm going to wave the white flag of surrender I'm going to give my life to you God I want to turn from my sin that's what we call repentance we're going to turn from my sin and turn to Jesus I want to find life and love and hope in him and not all these other things that promise me life and love and hope but never deliver so God the best way I know how I just I just want to surrender my life to you. Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I want to be your follower. I want your Holy Spirit to live inside of me. I want you to, to guide me, to convict me, to, to lead me. The best way I know how, I just to give my life to you. I'm going to follow you today. Now, the second way that you can respond, if you're here, you're watching online, and you're already a part of the family, you've already given your life to Jesus, here's your response. Make, listen, guys, you got one week. Make a commitment to share this kind of love with somebody, one person, this Christmas season. When Jesus, in the Gospels, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he answered to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is like this love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm just telling you, the greatest way we can love our neighbors this Christmas season is to point them to the source of actual love. So for you, whether that means finding a way creatively to share your faith story with a classmate, with a co-worker, with a neighbor, with a a family member, just say, hey, listen, I know we're celebrating Christmas. Let me tell you, two minutes, let me tell you why Christmas is so important to me. Let me tell you how Jesus redeemed me and ransomed me and I think he can do the same thing for you. In fact, I know he wants to do the same thing for you. So maybe you just need to build up the courage to share that love with somebody this Christmas season or maybe for you, all you need to do is invite somebody to the Christmas Eve service, the Christmas Eve, Eve service where they can come and they will hear about the love that God has for them in Jesus Christ, that God loved them so much that he sent Jesus into this world to die for them, to live for them. He rose again. Whatever it is, make a commitment. You got a week. Find one person, one person that you can share the best news in the world with about the love of God this Christmas season. Now let me, let me pray for us and then we'll move into a time of celebration through the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, we, <clears throat> we come to you and we are grateful for your love. Father, we're we're grateful that that your love is is deeper and wider than than anything that our culture kind of presses forward to us. It's, It's better than anything Hollywood projects or the music industry projects. It's more than a fuzzy feeling that comes and goes. Ultimately, love is a decision that was made visible to us through the person of Jesus. He is love. You are love. God, and so I pray for the person or the the, the folks that are here online who have not crossed that threshold of faith that today would be the day that they would just cry out and surrender their lives to the source of hope in life. And then that they would have the courage to come and tell somebody, tell me, tell another prayer partner, tell the friend or family member that they came to this service with so that we could walk this journey out with them. God, would you help us? For those of us who already know you, would you give us courage to share Christmas love this Christmas season, God, to find somebody? God, would you orchestrate conversations where this would come up naturally? And then would you give us the courage when that happens to open our stinking mouths, not cower back in fear because of what somebody might think of us? Share the love that we found in Jesus this Christmas season. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we ask and we pray. Amen.